Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Except so, when I have to cough. Except when you have to cough. Exactly. So, okay, we're on. Um, I'll do a formal interview or a formal introduction. <laughs> okay. After this is all done. Oh, I see. Because um, I'll have to, I'll probably take some clips uh, from the interview, and they'll be like the opening bumper, and then I'll you know find some way to ridicule you. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, on that. So. Yeah, we're good. Um. Anything that you don't want on here, we can edit out. Okay. For a small fee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's fine. So, um, boy, you know, I was thinking on the way in this morning, it's like, what did we get into first? Do we get into the dynamics of our relationship? Uh, no, we don't want to share that or with, do the, we, with the audience. I don't know. I think that might be a, f- a fun thing. Uh, we've survived a couple of things. Okay. So yeah. um, I'm here with Darren Sorley, professor of horn at the University of Indianapolis. And let's start there, Darren. Tell us a little bit about how long you've been there, what your role has been, how it's evolved, that sort of thing. Uh, Well, I've been here since 2001, so quite a long time as an adjunct instructor of horn. Mm -hmm. Um, And my wife was full-time here, as you know, uh, in the uh, piano department. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm from the Indianapolis area originally. Uh, grew up on the west side of town, went to Ben Davis High School, all that type of stuff. So, yeah. What years were you in the band out there? Uh, I don't know if I want to say. Well, are, are, are these no, the I, giant? It's 79 to 81. So these were the giant marching band hats, right? The big Bridgman style hats, right? Yeah, we were. The, I was the first to wear the Bridgman hat. Actually, my first year of marching, which was my sophomore year, because Ben Davis was just 10 through 12, mm-hmm. uh, we had the big conehead hats, the big Shaco, the big <laughs> yeah, white right? ones with the, right. yeah. Yeah, very embarrassing. But yeah, then we went to the Bridgman hats <laughs> right after that. Purple, of mm-hmm, course, mm-hmm. Uh, with a nice yellow cape added uh, to the side as well. So yeah, very stylish. You kept that uniform, right? You wear it once a month or I, something? I do. For a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. As you know, it doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, 
Yeah. So what was the question? So well, no, education actually, that's, background or well, what? Well, no, actually, let's talk <clears throat> about Ben Davis. I mean, that, yeah. that was, I don't know if it still is, but it was a huge program. A lot of really uh, great bands. Oh, yeah. We had almost 300 in our marching band, you know, mm-hmm. at that time. Um, a lot of great musicians have come through that program and everything mm-hmm. and uh, fantastic band directors and all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it has a, a great tradition before me and after me as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, after Ben Davis? Um, well, after Ben Davis, I went to Butler University and uh, went there for an ed degree, which I, I started playing horn in the seventh grade and um, uh, in Wayne Township schools. And by eighth grade, I, I knew that's kind of what I wanted to do was to be a band director. Mm-hmm. And so, so kind of s- I set my sights on, on Butler at that time because my band directors that I was, that I was under at the time mm-hmm. uh, had gone there. And mm-hmm. in fact, when I was in high school, Butler was very, very small at that time. And uh, they didn't have a lot of horns. And so my junior year, I was actually playing at the college. Oh, no uh, kidding. Yeah. Uh, under Dr. Uh, John Colbert there with the yeah. uh, with the wind ensemble, right? Uh, actually went on tour with them, tour up to Wisconsin and, and things like Ooh. that. Do you have to but have for a, a high school kid, yeah. it was you know it was a it was a big deal and had to get permission from the principal, all that type of stuff. But uh, yeah, so I ended up getting a scholarship there and uh, did my ed degree mm-hmm. uh, undergrad there at uh, Butler. I University. didn't realize that you actually yeah. have an, uh, a music ed bachelor's. Yeah, I was okay. I was the band director for seven years. Yeah, is, we're going to find out some great stuff in in this interview today. I don't know, great, but you're going to find well, out. We'll find some out stuff. some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I graduated Butler and uh, then went up. My first teaching job was at Delphi, uh, just north of uh, well, more in the Lafayette area, mm-hmm. up in the northern mm-hmm. part of Indiana. Um, yeah, and, and I was in charge of the uh, the elementary and middle school and uh, high school, of course, mm-hmm. uh, of that. And uh, was only there for a year. My wife was a year behind me, and we decided to get married after she graduated from college. Mm-hmm. And uh, stupidly or whatever, I guess I we we I, I was in demand. I'll say the when mm-hmm. I graduated college, mm-hmm. I had some very good interviews and everything. I took the Delphi job. Um, and so I figured that was going to happen again the next summer. So I actually, when I got married, I didn't have a job. <laughs> I had quit the Delphi job. We were going to move back to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, because Did that endear you to the uh, the in-laws at that point? You or? know, it, I, it would, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they never said anything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. at, at this time in my life, looking back and everything, too. But uh, Becky was starting her master's at IU, mm-hmm. so we needed to be a little closer to that. But, uh, yeah, you'll love this then. Mm-hmm. So the jobs didn't happen. There was nothing open. I, it's like everything was open the year before. Nothing was open. wasn't any interviews. So I went to bartending school. No <laughs> kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got my bartending license there's some hidden talents i had no, i i no know idea. and and actually yeah I, so i went to the the two-week bartending school and <laughs> wait 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 it's only two weeks i think i'm pretty sure that's what it was yeah. wow i mean we're talking a while back but yeah holy cow and so uh so i actually and and this was this would have been in july mm-hmm. and you know but uh, back then school started later uh mm-hmm. around the beginning of august middle of mm-hmm. august you know not as early as they are now um 
so yeah, so I got the I got the bartending license, and then a new restaurant was opening downtown Indianapolis. I went for the interview. They offered me the job, and I said, <laughs> I said this is great. I, I really appreciate it. But I just got called from Rushville High School uh, School Corporation. They had a, a last minute opening. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to come in and uh, and interview for it. And I said, that's you know, it's my area and all. And they were like, oh, that's fine. We'll hold the job for you and all. Good luck. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting the Rushville job and taught there for three years. Um, yeah, three years. And I oversaw the entire county, all of Rush County, oh. which were several elementaries, uh, one junior high, mm-hmm. and then doing the high school as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that while living in Indianapolis, so a nice little commute of, of a little over an hour each way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so after that, basically through our careers, my wife and I, we've traded degrees. So <laughs> she got her master's, then it was time for me mm-hmm. to get mine. And then, and uh, I ended up um, studying uh, while I was teaching at Rushville. I got some lessons with Phil Farkas down at Indiana University, mm-hmm. uh, working with him. And uh, through that then, I went on the audition thing and uh, ended up at the Cleveland Institute of Music where I did my master's. So we were up there for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the, at the end of that time, um, a Laker came along, our firstborn. Mm-hmm. And uh, so going out on the road for auditions wasn't going to really work at that time. And it just so happened that Rushville was open again. I ended up going back there to teach yeah. for a couple more years. And then finished up my teaching career at uh, Center Grove High School. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did that for a year and then uh, went and started my doctorate work at Indiana University down there. Mm-hmm. So, which kind of led me into a lot of the other mm-hmm. things that happened mm-hmm. after that. So, Ben Davis as a student right. at, a, at a powerhouse marching band program. Mm-hmm. And then ending up teaching at Center Grove, another perennial powerhouse marching band mm-hmm. and one ensemble orchestra i mean they do everything yeah at center grove um that's kind of did it did it feel different being at center grove uh that size program uh than at rushville i mean i know there's huge difference in number of students size of the school right um, what was a what was a big difference that you perceived well there? even then i mean we're talking we're talking 25 years ago, I guess, as far as Cinder Grove is concerned. And yes, there was a difference even then, mm-hmm. but not as big of a difference as there is now yeah. because the whole Cinder Grove area is, you know, boomed oh, out. I right. mean, when I was there, they were building the, they were adding on to the school at that time to accommodate, I think, like 2,200 kids or mm-hmm. something like that. And it was like, ha. Ah, We'll never fill that, you know, and I think they're like at 2,500 right. now, <laughs> you know, and they're, yeah. they just keep adding on, right. adding on to the school. Um, plus, I wasn't in charge. I was the assistant there under Tom Dirks oh, that's uh, right. at Center Grove. Okay. And so, but there was, the, the main difference between those programs <clears throat> is that even though I was running the other program, it's like you said, um, you know, it's. Basically, it's like a 24-hour program, mm-hmm. uh, especially here in the state of Indiana with marching bands in general. But as a band director, a lot of people think, well, oh, you just do the marching band. No, after that, then you have winter guard, then you have winter percussion, mm-hmm. and then and now before, and then you're planning and then you're and planning the show mm-hmm. for the next time, and you know, so it's it's pretty much year round, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of what made me. You know, I had always been a player. 
uh, and playing the horn was important to me. And, and even when I was at uh, it, when I was at Butler as an ed major, mm -hmm. you were only required to do uh, a half hour lesson uh, that at that time. And uh, and I always did an hour lesson. Mm -hmm. I just doubled up on the credits and Who everything. Who was teaching at Butler at that time? Jerry Montgomery. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and so I studied with Jerry for those four years. Um, but you know, even through my my teaching where I was, I wasn't gigging like I do now, of mm -hmm. course. But uh, I was keeping my chops up and, mm -hmm. and happening, uh, and especially after going through the the uh, uh, Cleveland Institute of Music. I mean, it's a big program. And Who everything. was teaching there? Uh, Rick Solis. He was the principal horn at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, fantastic player. I mean, best best musician uh, I, I think I've ever really been under, with maybe the exception of John Mack, who was the mm -hmm. uh, oboe instructor and principal oboe of the, of the Cleveland Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And that was the great thing about that particular program, as say, even compared to, to uh, Butler and, and IU, I guess, is because we had the Cleveland Orchestra right there. Mm -hmm. And then those people would have a rehearsal, and they'd come over, and they would teach or coach us. Mm -hmm. And you just got all sorts of, you know, Different so input. you're not necessarily <coughs> studying with your primary uh, applied instructor, right? You're. Are you also getting coaching from other right? Instruments? John Mack was a coach of our of one of the ensembles that I was in. Okay, an ensemble, kinda... but not a private lesson. Coach. No, but you're still getting fantastic exposure to everybody in the Cleveland oh, orchestra. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 And John Mack especially was one that he he. he he, he didn't pull punches. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it was like, it's like your C sharp. Every time you play it, it's sharp. Like, well, okay, you know. And, <laughs> and then, then, of course, I put it on the tuner, and hey, my C was sharp. It was right. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'd had it in my ear that way. And, that, mm -hmm. and I mean, that, that's a true story. I really had to work on, on bringing that down. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was great to How have are the other those 11 opportunities. Notes? The what? How are the other 11 notes? <laughs> there are only 11. <laughs> Well, they, yeah. never mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Edit. They're, well, they're great now. I mean, it's on a wonder. The, the instrument makes the difference. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, and we're going to get to that here in just a little bit, too. Yeah, yeah. But um, when I was at Center Grove, then um, it was just, I, I was getting in there at 6, 6.30 in the morning or so mm -hmm. to practice an hour or so before uh, before the kids would arrive, but right. then kids would get there early, and it was never, it just wasn't a great thing, and I just mm -hmm. felt like my plane was going, and and uh, my wife had finished her doctorate mm -hmm. uh, at Ball State, and so we decided then it was okay for me to go ahead and, and go for mine, and mm -hmm. so that's really when I started picking up the freelance plane mm -hmm. uh, here was when I was going to IU. In fact, I never played in an ensemble at IU. Uh, or, or everybody's like, oh, did you know so-and-so? -and -so? It's like, no, I drove down there, I took my lessons, right. I played in a couple of quartets and mm -hmm. did my classes, and then it was, bye, I've got a gig. And you, you, know, had, you probably And they counted had... what I was doing up here. Exactly. You know, right. subbing right. with the Indianapolis Symphony and, and things like that as, you know, my, my ensemble credits, I guess yeah. you could say. And rightly so. so. I mean, I, I've, I, I remember... Yeah. Uh, when I did a year of doctoral work at Ball State, you know, they wanted me to play in the ensembles there, and I'm and I was telling them, look, I've already got 25 plus years, <laughs> you know, professional orchestra experience. Right. Do I really need to play in this ensemble? Probably the same for you at that point is. Yeah. You're beyond. I mean, you could have benefited everybody else in that group by being there. 
Mm-hmm. But you wanted to be selfish, and no, I'm just kidding. No, no, that's true. <laughs> well, I will no, edit I that want, out. I wanted to make money, yeah, and and, yeah. and and be able to support the family. So, did you finish yeah. your doctorate? I did not. No, mm-hmm. that's that's one of those, you know, parts of your life you look back on and everything. But mm-hmm. uh, no, I finished all of the coursework. Mm-hmm. I I did the the ex- exams as well. I just mm-hmm. didn't do the the dissertation side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as I finished my coursework, that's when I, I went to Evansville and uh, was part of the consortium that they had mm-hmm. there where I taught at the University of Evansville and then played principal horn in the orchestra. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a couple of years while the family stayed up here in Indianapolis. So mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a long commute. Um, and I would make it up here as much as I could and everything. But mm-hmm. that's when then Alex, our, our firstborn son, uh, came along and everything. And mm-hmm. It was like, you know, I mean, it was great experience. Uh, right. I, I grew a lot as a horn player at that time. Um, Were you auditioning for orchestra gigs anywhere? You know, I, I was. I've done a lot of auditions. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm not a great audition person. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, I, I did advance. I just didn't, didn't win anything mm-hmm. uh, from that standpoint. And um, so... After Evansville, I decided to come back here and just do the freelance thing full time. But because uh, it was rough being away from the family, but you know, as fate would have it, I was up here for like maybe a month, month or two, mm-hmm. and got called from uh, a Southeast Missouri State University, Southwest Missouri State, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, University in Springfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. They had a last, you know, their their teacher had left. They needed somebody. So I went and interviewed for that, and uh, it was actually it was a very good position. I was there for a year. Um, I had like 17 students in the in the studio, you know, and uh, it's a great location and everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I probably could have taken the job after that, but I didn't even apply for it mm-hmm. because uh, I mean we're from Indianapolis; mm-hmm. it was a long way away. But by that point, uh, my daughter Allegra was 10. And she was already studying piano at IU. Um, and, you know, again, great location in Springfield, good colleagues and all of that, but not the caliber for her uh, from, mm-hmm. a, from a studying standpoint mm-hmm. uh, and everything. So I decided to go ahead and come back here. Mm-hmm. And then that's when we let go with the, uh, the freelance stuff. And, uh, and actually, that would have been about 2000, 2001. When did uh, when did Becky start at University of Indianapolis? You, you know, um, I think ninety eight, maybe ninety seven oh, or ninety eight, okay. something okay. like that. Yeah. Um, let's go back. Talk a little bit about uh, teachers uh, applied teachers, mm-hmm. and you said you studied with Jerry at Butler. Had you studied with him prior to getting there, or was he your first? No, lesson teacher. no, actually, actually, my first private lesson teacher was here at the University of Indianapolis, which, of course, at that time was Indiana Central University. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my, my parents would bring me here. I think I was in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd only been playing the horn for about a year, year and a half, something like that, and came here and studied with John Miller, who was then mm-hmm. the fourth horn mm-hmm. of the uh, Indianapolis Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just across the street in Good Hall. Right. <laughs> That's all there was at that time, right. you know. And so I studied with him. So basically, between there and uh, and then going into college, I studied with 
almost everybody in this section of the Indianapolis mm -hmm. Symphony. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it was them or me <laughs> for doing that. But, uh, but yeah, I, so I, I studied with Pete Klein. Uh, of course, uh, with Jerry, I didn't because he wasn't there until oh. my last year of high school. Yeah. And then I studied with Larry Philpot, who was the principal horn. Oh, that's a name um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Larry was principal horn uh, here for for many years, mm -hmm. um, and uh, good player. And studied at IU with Farkas as well, mm -hmm. if I remember right. Um, and so, yeah, I got a lot of lot of good things from him mm -hmm. also. And I actually was set to study with him at Butler, uh, but I had heard about Jerry and um, and. I had already studied with, with Larry for a little while and everything, so I went ahead and, and mm -hmm. made the switch there. Mm -hmm. So, And almost immediately, Jerry switched my embouchure, which was a real pain, but, uh, but I, I still thank him for it whenever, mm -hmm. <laughs> whenever I see him because it, it did help quite well, a bit. Well, whatever <clears throat> you did works because you sound fantastic. Well, thanks. So there's, you know, I, I can't believe I'm actually complimenting a horn player on, you know, for the record. Uh, it's here for posterity now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and I and I and I hope I'm not bringing your show down too much by no, being no, a no. horn player. And, and you know, your trumpet players heard that right at the very beginning and already turned off. I hope we've kept their attention. Uh, you know what? I'll I'll uh, I'll uh, overdub that. And I'll it, put it, trumpet. It, there you go. There. We won't yeah. we won't reveal just a trumpet who it is <laughs> until. <laughs> yeah. You know, that could be a new aspect of the show. Guess guess the instrument this person plays. There you go. Right? We'll yeah. go from there. Yeah. Of course, then I'll just have to uh, interview really obscure people so nobody knows ahead of time. Well, I'm kind of obscure, so. <laughs> not really. Maybe not, not really. in this area, but yeah. So, well, you know what? Let's let's say um, you did something to, to bring yourself uh, out of obscurity and into the world of horn. That Why? wasn't on the news. That was, yeah. <laughs> that was right. on the six o'clock news. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you've been uh, designing and building your own French horns now for how many years? Um, well, since I, I made the first one in 2004. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. How long did it take you to, to complete that horn? Is You completed it in 2004 or started it in 2004 and finished in 2012? <laughs> now you're sounding like my wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, somewhere, well, I guess I would have probably, well, I would have started it quite a while before that because mm -hmm. it, what, what had happened is after I left Southwest Missouri State, I came back here, um, you know, and I knew I was going to do the freelancing thing, but it's not like you just say, hey, here I am, and, and mm -hmm. get, start falling into your lap, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, even though I had done some stuff prior to it wasn't as hard for me whenever I did come back uh, but when I was at uh, Indiana University I took natural horn lessons uh, mm -hmm. down there as part of my and in fact that was technically one of my minors mm -hmm. that's uh, with Rick Serafinoff and right? that's right and so I studied with Rick Serafinoff who also happens to be a, a world-renowned uh, natural horn historical instrument builder and uh, and a fantastic player if you come across he's he's got two or three CDs out there mm -hmm. uh, of natural horn. Um, uh, and, uh, and then his instruments are fantastic. And we had a good relationship, you know. And so I just I called him up and, and just said, you know, I had always had a, an interest in how things work. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, when I was 
when I was in high school, I believe it was, somehow we ended up with a saxophone at our house, a friend of a friend type thing that mm -hmm. they wanted us to sell. I ended up taking it completely apart. Uh, took me a couple of weeks to get it back together again, <laughs> you know, oh but it was, just, it was just the curiosity of it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so that stayed with me. And, and I told Rick, you know, I just always had an interest in, in um, you know, the process mm -hmm. and everything like mm -hmm. that. And since we knew each other, uh, I basically bought the materials. Uh, I don't think he took anything extra. I, I told him I would, you know, obviously pay him for his time and stuff. And mm -hmm. so I tell everybody that summer I built one horn to his six uh, that he, he did during that time because I was bad. I mean, the, the, just the technique and, <laughs> and everything. So I ended up building uh, the corpus of the horn, which is the body of the mm -hmm. horn, uh, an F crook, uh, an E crook, an E flat crook, and then a coupler, which when added with the F crook makes it into D horn, when added to the E flat crook puts it into C horn. Mm -hmm. So I ended up with like five, you know, five different horns mm -hmm. that I could play mm -hmm. around with. Um, but that was enough for me uh, as far as the natural horn goes. I, I have a complete set now, but Rick ended up building the rest of them for me. I traded mm -hmm. a couple of cases mm -hmm. for uh, later down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, but it gave me a I, – I, I had a sense of, you know, how to, how to do some of the basic parts of, of instrument building, mm -hmm. preparing a bell and, and all of that. Since that time, lots of people actually have gone through and, and uh, spent time with Rick, maybe going even a little bit further – um, for me, because of the family situation and, and having to stay up here, not being able to camp down there and everything, I, um, um, we, I kind of picked his brain. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, that was in 2000 that I built my first horn technically, which is the natural horn. Mm -hmm. And then 2004, I made the first double horn solely as, uh, just for myself. Mm -hmm. I had no intention of really getting into the business. Uh, after I left Rick's, I bought a lathe, and and then I just bought some tools. I started doing a few repairs for people in town, but mm -hmm. I wasn't ever really looking at it turning into a business. Isn't that funny how things evolve? It is. It is. Mm -hmm. You know. And then once you once you also make those in investments into the tools, and it's all about the tools. Well, and those are not cheap investments either. Some not of those tools are. Very expensive. Not at all, and and uh, and a lot of them you have to make yourself as well, mm. as far as forms and things mm -hmm. like that too. And so, um, yeah. So the um, how did that first horn play? The one you built for yourself? You know, <laughs> it, it it actually it played really well. I played on it for probably uh, twelve years, maybe 10, 10 or twelve yeah. years. Mm -hmm. um, soloed with it in Richmond and and with mm -hmm. the symphony there and and lots of other things too um but but yeah it was one of those you know i mean i you, you study you you plan out you know this is my lead pipe that i'm i'm making here are my tapers here's mm -hmm. my first branch my tapers make the mandrels you know all that stuff and and you go by the research that you've done and everything but you really never know you know and then then i i put it all together and i remember i was like i, I blow the first notes and all and i was like this doesn't suck, <laughs> you know? I mean, seriously, yeah, it, it's yeah. just kind of, you know, I mean, you play it, it's like, oh, is it going to sound like, you know, a tin right. can or something like that? Right. But no, it actually, it, it, it played, it still does, plays mm -hmm. really well. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that I, I kind of keep it in the closet now, so to speak, because it doesn't represent 
the work that I do now mm-hmm. uh, because at that time I still was learning. To, mm-hmm. to me, it didn't matter what it looked like. I was concerned with how it played. Sure. And uh, but I, I still kind of refer to it as my Frankenstein horn mm-hmm. a little bit because the ones I make now, you know, they're very very pretty. A more refined. And yeah. yes, exactly. And and it as has my craft mm-hmm. too. You know. Mm-hmm. And um, not that any of my earlier horns are bad from the standpoint of a, a plain standpoint. They're just things that I probably could have done better. But I didn't spend, like I said, I didn't spend a lot of time with Rick f- as far as being an apprentice, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of that just grew out of trial and error myself and, and then asking questions and, mm-hmm. and bugging Rick uh, a lot mm-hmm. uh, from that standpoint. So, yeah. And you're still making horns? I am still making horns, yeah. I'm making, uh, I've got around um, oh, 50 or so out there. I've got horns in, wow. got a half dozen horns in Poland, kind of like the flavor of the month or something over there <laughs> for some reason, uh, which is neat to see. And, uh, horns well, now, and th- this, this begs a question. You know, sometimes European orchestras play at a higher level, higher pitch level. Mm-hmm. Do you design, if somebody requests a horn that's going to tune to 442 or 444, can you design a horn that will, that will play that's its, its base level? Well, yeah, the tuning is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's not necessarily an exact science, so to speak. Uh, I mean, all of my instruments I make to be a little bit, because obviously you can, you can pull out and bring it down, but you can't make it shorter. Exactly. You know, so we, we go with that in mind to begin mm-hmm. with. Um, but no, actually, when I when I build those horns, I, I build them just like I do any other. To 440. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. And and in fact, for, for horn players, I'm not sure how it is with trumpets as far as European Well, things. we play in tune, so I'm not sure where you're headed with this. Oh, no, I was heading to mouthpieces, oh. actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. wait, we don't have enough yeah. time to talk yeah. about mouthpieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Get into a trumpet player with mouthpieces right. and mutes, and that's like a day. Right. Yeah. Um, no, but but for we have European uh, shanks and, and American shanks. Oh, and I didn't so, realize there was a difference. There. Yeah, there is a difference as far as how far it goes into the uh, before it meets the venturi within mm-hmm. the lead pipe and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, but I've I've never made those adjustments either. I mean, mm-hmm. I do ask them, you know, when I'm making a horn for somebody here in the states, what mouthpiece they're playing, so I can make it fit mm-hmm. properly because mm-hmm. that fit is very important. But uh, as far as the Polish horns, no, I've, I've just made them and, and mm-hmm. sent them over there. Uh, same with the uh, with the Australian players and mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. I always say my, my horns travel better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great way to put yourself all over the world without leaving home. That, that's right? true. That's true, yeah. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. So, uh, double horns, have you ventured into maybe making a descant along the way? or I, There are a lot of ideas in my head that have not made it out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I know you toyed with uh, even the idea of doing a, a rotary valve trumpet. I, I, yeah, I have the bell. The bell for one is actually on my uh, on my workshop uh, 
bench there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, it's just a matter of time, mm-hmm. you know. And for some of those things too, a little bit more from the money side of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've thought about a desk camp for sure, mm-hmm. uh, but a desk camp horn for horn players, it's a matter of people going, huh. Can I spend you know six thousand dollars on an instrument I'm going to use twice a year, if maybe right. even that, right. you know? And then uh, I've actually had people though with my instruments um, say that, and, and I've had people that primarily were triple horn players mm-hmm. that feel more comfortable on the double horn, and that my instruments respond so well in the upper register that they don't feel that they need it. Mm-hmm. You know, they still not the same type of of security so to speak, in the upper register, mm-hmm. but, you know, what you gain in, in evenness of sound throughout all of the register as mm-hmm. you would on a triple horn. But I, I thought about making triple horns mm-hmm. and may get to that at some point. But for me right now, it's just keeping up with orders. Right, because it's just you in the shop, right? Right, right, just me. And, yeah, just keeping the orders going. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm still a, a freelance player mm-hmm. and, um, and play principles Richmond Symphony, and so I, I mm-hmm. want to... I've, I've got another seven or eight years, maybe, you know. As a, as a player? As a player. Oh, I hope it's more than that. Well, to where I feel comfortable with it, mm. to where mm-hmm. I feel like I can keep my practicing up to where I need to in order to still be performing at the level that I want to. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty much what it comes down to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'll play, you know, as long as I have lips, I guess. <laughs> I'll sure. keep I'll keep playing. Uh, not everybody will want to hear it at that time, though, and so that's that's when I'll probably call it quits. And well, put former t- yeah. former principal trumpet of uh, Montreal and then uh, Atlanta Symphony, and now he teaches at Eastman School of Music. In a podcast, he had remarked about his retirement, and people said, well, you still have so many good years left in front of you. He said, I'd rather retire five years too early than five years too late. Right. And, you know, it is your reputation as a player. I mean, you can be the nicest guy in the world, but a lot of people are going to remember how you sound at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm starting to think about, you know, how, how do I sound right now? Is it time for me to <laughs> well, exit and, stage left? And, and, that's, and, but, and that's, you know, it, it, it is true, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having been around and, and played with, with people that are older than me that have been towards the end of the career, mm-hmm. you know, and then I doubt that with myself sometimes, too. It's like, well, I hear it this way, but is everybody else, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. hearing it this I feel like I'm still playing in tune, but, you know, mm-hmm. just am I still? Mm-hmm. And because, obviously, we get older, our ears change, we've taken more abuse uh, mm-hmm. for us sitting in front of timpani for many years. Physical and, and emotional, yes. Yeah, 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 more emotional, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so so for me right now, the, I mean, really the hard thing with building horns and, is, and, and then, of course, teaching schedules and fitting all of that in is, uh, is just finding time to practice mm-hmm. and practice well. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, well, we gig together yeah. a, a fair amount. Uh-huh. Uh, recording studio and occasional regional orchestra and right. and even here at the UND faculty brass quintet we play together yeah you always sound like you're in top shape I prepare well I mean, I mean that's I prepare well because I have to mm-hmm. so uh, I mean you know right now because of my son's graduation this last weekend I haven't touched the horn for like three or four days mm-hmm. I'm can I name drop 
sure. playing with the Who on Saturday. Yeah. And so, uh, so I know I've got something coming up, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I also keep track of the Indianapolis Symphony schedule as mm-hmm. to, you know, something they that may I or might, may. may or may not need right. me or, right. uh, you know, I mean, I'm always ready, but if I know, like if I'm playing for Richmond and I'm playing this and this and this on the concert, mm-hmm. I kind of prep and, and I, and I, yeah, get mm-hmm. myself ready. Uh, I'm not going to say a weekend warrior type player, because uh, I, I think I am, I'm a little bit better than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, at times it feels like it, especially mm-hmm. like right now I've got a couple of horns on the bench that I'm finishing. Um, you know, my wife would 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 say uh, or agree with this. I mean, you really don't want to be around me whenever that time comes as I get to the end of that project mm-hmm. and all. I just pretty much submerge myself completely into that. I'm out there for many, many hours and, and just really working to get mm-hmm. all of that done. Uh, which then, you know, the end of the day comes to like, oh, I haven't practiced today, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'll do a little something, but it's not constructive necessarily. It's more mm-hmm. of maintaining. Sure. So that's really the hardest thing. And that's why, that, that's where I would step away. Mm-hmm. When, the, when the horn building gets to a point that it really, yeah. But haven't you noticed over the years, and I think from my standpoint, uh, you miss a day or two, uh, it's much easier to come back than it was 20 30 years ago we you know i think we have we have a better sense of efficiency with our air well we're smarter well and our muscles are not gonna uh, atrophy in one or two days that much but we are smarter hopefully uh, when it comes to horn and trumpet at least yeah um yeah i I think it was doc severinson who said you know if i take one day off i notice two days off the band notices (laughs) three days the audience <clears throat> notices, and uh, it, it is a pretty quick deterioration for brass players. Oh, you know, yeah. My wife can put her violin down for several days and pick it up, <clears throat> and be exactly where she was when she left. Right, makes me mad. <laughs> it's not fair. Well, <laughs> but well, well, it's a whole I, different, I can, yeah, a whole different animal too. Well, it, well, it is also too. I mean, at least with with our line and not taking away. I mean, string players play like a gazillion more notes than we would mm-hmm. ever play in, you know, in a symphony or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but there is sometimes safety in numbers. Uh, so, you know, with trumpet players <laughs> and horn players, with, with, mm-hmm. with wind players, I mean, uh, even if you're, you know, playing fourth horn or something like that, I mean, you could potentially be a soloist. At yeah, some a little point. bit of Beethoven 9, is it? Or, yeah, uh, yeah, you know? yeah. You know, not a little bit in Beethoven, yeah, nine, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so it's a it's a bit of a different mindset mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. from that standpoint. You know? All the orchestras you've played in all these years, I'm curious your perspective on as you've, I mean, you've aged. It's not a criticism; it's just an observation. <laughs> but as you look at me, but the yes. but the players around you, you think of yeah. it some differences or some things that you you notice in the younger players now and the orchestras versus back then do you feel like they're as prepared they're as knowledgeable you know i mean the ones like some of the recent additions to the indianapolis symphony and and i i think more so i think they're more so prepared Mm -hmm. um in some ways than what we were but on the other side of that and, and not saying that i mean i i think 
they have and this a, is more they of a generalization. More, yeah, I think I, I think there's out. a lot more there, there's a lot more out there for them to learn from. Also, at an early age, I mean, mm. everything's at your fingertips now. Yeah, you know, I mean, when I when I wanted to study with with Mr. Farkas, I mean, I was nervous as I'll get out mm. to uh, to call him up on my phone that was still attached to the wall. And pro- was it you a know, rotary a dial? It was. You know, actually, my house, it could have been. <laughs> it could have been, you know, and to actually to, to speak to him and, mm-hmm. and say, introduce myself. I would never, you know, and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where now, I mean, obviously, we have everything there, and we can look up a, a video, and we can learn from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I will say, uh, at least the, the younger um, players that I've, I've been around recently, that have come from very good programs, too, are – a lot of people would say, oh, they're they're naturally gifted. Mm. You know, it just happened. And then you talk to them, and it's like, oh, you, you do all of that with your mm-hmm. warm-up routine? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you do, you know, and then there's a little bit of, I, I don't want to say fearlessness, but maybe more so, um, mm. which which is probably true with, with some, you know, younger people. Uh, in general, in, even in sports and things like that, where you mm-hmm. just go and you do and you do, and you don't have the weight on your shoulders mm-hmm. necessarily of uh, uh, maybe having to provide for a family or, mm-hmm. or you know, pay your car insurance and, and things like that, where the, it then becomes more of a job mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe the fun side of it and everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, even from the standpoint of horn building, when I started, uh, there were probably maybe uh, five or six of us, uh, and since that time, I mean, doing it the way that I do it is like a one-person type mm-hmm, deal, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, probably at this point we're, we've at least doubled that, mm-hmm. if not more, just here in the States, so mm-hmm. in some ways a bit of an oversaturation. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. I think about uh, the, the individual trumpet makers that are out there, not the big Yamaha, Consumer. Mm-hmm. uh Groups, but all these individuals who had apprenticed and probably worked for Schilke and Con Selmer and Getzen, right. and now they're on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't do that. You didn't apprentice with any of those uh, those large builders. I mean, you just, like you said, you started on your own with a natural horn and then went yourself. I mean, you, you right. apprenticed yourself. Right, basically, yeah, yeah. And I would not suggest that. And, and on the other side of that, um, you know, I've had, I've had people, I've had a couple of people in the shop short term. Um, I have people uh, from, from IU, you know, once they, they finish their degree or their mm. master's or something like that and, and looking for something to do, can I come up and, mm. you know, maybe learn a little bit and all. And, and I, I still, I don't feel 100% comfortable in mm. teaching them that uh maybe more so now than even five years ago i i would mm-hmm. uh but for me the hard part is that i'm not in the shop 100 percent of the time right it's not it's not i mean it's maybe 60 i don't know f- maybe 50 percent, i guess mm-hmm. with all the other things that i that i do mm-hmm. so when i get somebody in there and i'm trying to teach them what i've discovered that happens is mm-hmm. something that takes me an hour to do now becomes three hours and I, you know, I mean, you know, I love to teach. I mean, I, I teach here, and 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 I and I love working with with students and and passing on knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, 
but I can't afford that time. Right. And so I, I haven't taken on any right. apprentice. And then people ask, you know, how can you get started in it and everything? And, and I tell them to go try one of the repair schools or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or try somebody that will take an apprentice, which or is usually going to be uh, a larger shop, mm-hmm. you know, where they have four or five people. Or you could do there. a series of YouTube videos at some point and just True. say, look, if you want to know what it's like, <laughs> here's my channel. Right, right. Or, yeah. or here's a great moneymaker for you is do a, do a week-long workshop in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Right? So well, of which now I get a portion of that, uh, that income since I suggested well, of it. of course. <laughs> Of course, of course. So, yeah. so you mentioned teaching uh, a second ago. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if you can think about how you were as a learner. Are you a tactile, uh, visual, aural learner? You think back to when you first picked up the horn in seventh grade and the evolution of your learning and the teachers you encountered, what kind of learning styles you respond best to and how that's translated now into the way that you teach not teach horn building but horn playing right or musicianship yeah well i i mean i'm i'm all about the listening side of things you know um and and of course when i grew up uh we we had records and and my first record i think with horn on it was mason jones the principal horn of the philadelphia orchestra at Mm -hmm. the time playing Strauss first horn concerto and that wasn't there was nothing that I had heard Mm. before Mm -hmm. Um, and that led to other recordings too but then when I got to Cleveland it was interesting because Rick was like uh, Rick Solis would would say well yeah listen and and all of that but don't listen to horn players Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) he'd say he'd say you know listen to uh, listen to a great violinist listen to more importantly than that even uh, a singer Mm -hmm. Uh, listen to opera things that can that can really show you the direction of a phrase and and where Mm -hmm. it needs to go Mm -hmm. so uh, especially from what I learned from him was more musical in fact in the very first lesson Rick said you know if you if you have any technical problems I can't help you well. Uh, he was a very natural mm-hmm. player, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to say you know unorthodox in any way necessarily, mm-hmm. but he could do amazing things. But it was just uh, a great um, a great musician, and, and taught mm-hmm. me a lot about uh, direction of phrases and things mm-hmm. like that by singing them mm-hmm. most of the mm-hmm. time because it was between rehearsals for him on a lunch break when mm-hmm. I'd have a lesson. So, you know, he wasn't going to want to play mm-hmm. too much. Uh, and those are things that when I'm teaching that I, I talk about a lot too, and either by demonstrating from a playing standpoint or, or just going. But, you know, younger players especially don't really think about that. We, they think that you, uh, you, play, you play the note, you blow air, you get sound, we're done. You know, and mm-hmm. it's 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 not that by any means. And mm-hmm. so I really focus a lot on uh, even if you're playing a whole note, you know, where's it going? Mm-hmm. Try to figure that out and mm-hmm. and phrase that and use your air in order to do that mm-hmm. uh, as well. We, um, actually, uh, I study also with Eli Epstein uh, in who was the second horn in Cleveland, and it's just an example that that Rick. Um, only thought about what he was going to do musically. And Eli, total opposite. 
Eli would he he's written a book as well uh, about thinking about syllables, different syllables, mm -hmm. uh, different places to tongue, articulate, all of that. And so when he would play, he would think in those terms. But you hear the two of them together, it was fantastic, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know. And and so uh, there there are different different things out there for people. And so with my students, I always try to read them as to how they're going to learn the best mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and go that direction. What about uh, Farkas? What, what about his teaching style? Well, I, I caught Farkas towards the end of his, his career, slash life actually, I guess at that point. Uh, and um, they, they were interesting lessons, uh, more talking than playing. Um, uh, I actually went down to his house, and, and I had to do it on Saturdays because I was teaching full-time mm -hmm. at the time. And mm -hmm. so, so, you know, this would have been, when would this have been, uh, 80, 86, yeah, 86 to 88, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and so when I called him up and asked for a lesson, he said, oh, yeah, I teach you a lesson and all. He said, unfortunately, since I'm still associated with the university, it would be $50 an hour, which was, you know, it's, it's a good chunk of money Absolutely. right now, but a lot of money back then. And I was like, that's great. I, I, I could do that. So we get there, and it's a, like a 9 o'clock in the morning lesson. 10 o'clock goes by. I'm like, okay, you know, 11 o'clock goes by. I'm like, oh, I didn't bring enough money, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and I did not have a lesson with him. And we would go like every other week sometimes, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't have a lesson with him probably under three hours uh, for that whole time mm -hmm. and, um, and but, but just for 50 bucks so I was okay so <laughs> yeah, he didn't no, roll no, the <clears throat> no the meter yeah. wasn't rolling yeah. after yeah. after the hour that's just how much and, and that was inspirational in its own right because mm -hmm. of the hundreds if not thousands of, of students he would have taught mm -hmm. by that point in his career and yet he was giving me the Phil Farkas is taking his time to spend with you. One of the greatest yeah. teachers and players of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Yeah, given given up his Saturday morning to teach mm -hmm. me in what was termed the hornet's nest, which was a little log cabin. <laughs> on, on That's the, great. It was a little bitty log cabin. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, <clears throat> one of his early horns that was made by Carl Geyer that mm -hmm. he played in the Chicago Symphony back in the 30s. Uh, that was the horn that I ended up with and used as a model for my first horn. Oh. So that's the type of, of instrument that I build. Mm -hmm. and, and, so, and then I obviously made changes that, mm -hmm. that, that worked better for what I was wanting. You know, there's a great uh, parallel right there <coughs> is you took something spectacular, a model horn, mm -hmm. to recreate your own. Yeah. It's what we're supposed to be doing with sound, right? I mean, we're supposed to model great sounds, right, and produce them ourselves. I mean, uh, I'm just thinking from you know the literal reproduction mm -hmm. of something like that. But yeah. I don't know. I, I may have just stroked out. I'm not sure if that no. was worth anything. Or no, 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 no. But but I mean, sound is important, and 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 also with Rick Solis when I was in Cleveland. I mean, he he was, uh, you know talking about sound is that you have to come to a conclusion of what you want that sound to be. Um, that's why I have my students try not to get fixated on one, you know, particular mm -hmm. horn player and also trying to hear as many things as you can live. Mm -hmm. uh, a live 
not recording, but a live performance versus, mm -hmm. you know, hearing a recording, no matter how great that recording is, it's still not going to be the same. Right. Right. You know, uh, I mean, I grew up listening to Dennis Brain, the great mm -hmm. English uh, French horn player. <laughs> I know, <laughs> yeah, you gotta get all of that right. in there, yeah. Uh, who was fantastic, his recordings are fantastic. And, and when I was in my teens and maybe early 20s, those were fantastic recordings. Mm -hmm. And I listen to him a little bit now, and I knew the sound was then and everything then, but I listen to him now, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't, it, it doesn't have the same mm -hmm. appeal to me. Now, the artistry, the, the phrasing, the technical, you know, genius and, and all that he could do, of course, mm -hmm. but would I want to sound like that? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and so that would be something that from a student, I'd say, listen to this but don't necessarily take that right. from a sound standpoint. Right. And then you take all of those things and put them together and try to create your sound. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is one thing other people telling me is that I, I do have a good sound as a player. And I mm -hmm. think that helps me as a horn builder also, because when I build a horn, I obviously test them mm -hmm. uh, even through the process of building. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's very important to me for a horn to sound like a horn through all of its ranges, <laughs> all right? Not, not all of them do. Sometimes we'll sound, uh, and no offense to other instruments, you know, out there, but we'll, we'll sound a little bit trombonish mm -hmm. down in the low register mm -hmm. and a little low trumpet-like mm -hmm. up in the upper register. Um, and not having that depth or roundness to sound that, that we, you know, should have. And so right. when I'm building a horn, I, I try to uh, I keep that happening for mm -hmm. the uh, for the player. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I just had a brain fade. Um, resources. I was going to comment on this again, and it's funny. Almost everybody I've interviewed, we've talked about resources as we had them compared to resources as our students now have them. And you mentioned records, and mm -hmm. I remember. Uh, having to go to the library, listening library, and check out the album or albums and go find a record player. Not like today when, you know, right here we can pick up YouTube and have access to everything right. we could possibly think of. Yet students still seem to find an excuse, oh, I didn't have a chance to <laughs> get to it. And I'm like, are you yeah. kidding me? You know, excuses are getting harder and harder to come by these days because... You know, you're taking down those barriers to, you know, I couldn't get to the library. What do you mean? Your library is in the palm of your hand. Right. Uh, even even digital copies of things, you know, you can probably find bootleg or otherwise a PDF of every horn solo out there. Yeah. Public so, domain, at least. Yeah. Public domain. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's funny. I just bought uh, Caprash. Was Caprash originally for horn? I believe so, yeah. Uh, I just bought uh, Caprash, uh, and the trumpet and horn books might look identical, but uh, I didn't have a digital you copy. Can't go, yeah, you can't go as low, though, in, in the, the horn books. I mean, oh, we, there's a challenge there. I, you just issued a challenge, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> okay. All right. I want to hear your pedal Yeah, speak. no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> Not in performance. Uh, but no, I just bought the Caprash and uh, downloaded it. it was, layout's great. And then like, later that same day, I found somebody had already copied the entire book and it was pdf on online and yeah i mean i could have just got it for free but at least now i can say i paid for it right the digital copy but yeah 
you know, there again, uh, here I am all these years later, I'm still buying resources and yeah. trying to get students to go out and buy a book. I don't know. Is that your experience too? It's still like pulling teeth? A, a, a little bit. Yeah. There are some things I, I definitely want them to have hard copies of, uh, solos, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so concerto sonatas, uh, obviously any, uh, you know, ensemble type things, the, the Brahms horn trio, things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer they not pull that off offline as far as etude books and things i'm not as bad about that but as with anything online just like youtube videos Mm -hmm. i always want to know you know when they say oh i heard this recording it's like who was playing right you know uh what's the what's the edition Mm -hmm. that you have Uh, i mean if it's one of you know, if it's if it's an okay thing, then 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 that works. Um, yeah, you know, the the other side of it for my students too is that I I try. I'm not always great at it, but I try to have them uh, work on their sight reading. It's like, you know, you could, you could even just pop open your phone or your iPad, and you've got millions of things you can pull up. Mm-hmm. But yet, it doesn't always happen. So I say, you know, when you get to that point that you're that you're kind of done practicing, but you mm-hmm. need to keep playing, just open. I mean, I do that with all the music, not necessarily what's on the iPad or anything, but you know, I've got tons of mm-hmm. file drawers of music. So I'll just grab a book and I'll just sit down and I'll read mm-hmm. and turn the page mm-hmm. and I'll read and turn the page. And of course, in our line of business as freelance players, sight reading is probably the most important skill that you have to have. And sight transposing. And sight, yes, right. Yeah. I mean, maybe. oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when I when I go and you know we always do when we do church services with brass quintet, mm-hmm. you, you know, you guys whip out the C trumpet and then play out of the hymnal because you never know what you're going to get. And they mm-hmm. say, "Well, we're going to do these hymns today." The trombone players, of course. We, I either have to do some freakish transposition in the mm-hmm. in the treble clef, or I usually end up doing the trombone line, mm-hmm. uh, the tenor line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not every horn player has that skill, how mm-hmm. to transpose in the bass clef and then do the, mm-hmm. the actual you know, transposition from the key and everything. Um, so, yeah, a lot, lot of learning mm-hmm. from that standpoint, too. But um, sight reading, I would say, as far as for students at this point, is probably the you know, n- number one thing that they, they lack. Mm-hmm. the most and they don't seem to always understand the importance of it in that it will help you learn music quicker that you actually have to work on mm-hmm. so i mean i i'm sure it's been the same for you but even with the indianapolis symphony i have gone in and had sight read concerts i did a that subscription, for the first time a subscription yep. i did a subscription concert that was just how did that even work out? It was just two horns. So I don't know where everybody else mm, was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but you know, so I'm going in and playing second horn. And, and I knew the symphony, but I'd never played the part. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, for horns especially, you know, I mean, it was in E-flat and then, then I don't know, B-flat basso or something like that, mm-hmm. which, which for me at this point isn't difficult. But yet when you're in a hot seat, everything becomes more difficult. Yeah. So, so just being able to to do that and be ready for that mm-hmm. uh, at any moment um, is important. So those are the type of things I try to, mm-hmm. to throw along to, to my students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Valuable stuff. And, you know, I, I just this past season had my first opportunity to sight read a concert with two different orchestras. ISO was one of them. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, I was just assisting 
on that one. Um, I I don't know how it is with trumpet players. For me, assisting, which I do a lot, mm -hmm. is the absolute hardest job. Well, I think it depends on who the principal player is. I, I and I won't say who, <coughs> but there's an orchestra up north uh, in a city that round uh, rhymes with uh, Nort Pain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and years ago, the principal player, I I did a lot of assisting mm -hmm. up there, but it was always different never the same on one rehearsal and never the same on the concert oh. nothing was bracketed it was always eh, you know if i kind of lean your way just go ahead and put your horn up and come in and i hated that oh yeah i yeah, that's absolutely hated it because you never knew exactly what you were <coughs> going to play and you know of course i try to know the entire piece anyways but uh and then there are others who bracket and you know exactly what you're going to play and when to come in and Right. You know, I mean, they make it in my idea. That's the easiest thing to do because there's no there's nothing unexpected. Yeah. Well, and for 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 us, I mean, the people that I've worked with, it's it's usually pretty well planned out, especially if it's a subscription concert. If it's a pops concert, that's a lot harder because lots of times they're new arrangements. You don't really know where I'm going to what I'm going to mm -hmm. feel like, where I'm going to be. So you're, you don't really know that first rehearsal. But usually after the first rehearsal, mm -hmm. things get bracketed. A few things might change here or there. But mm -hmm. for me, from the assistant side of it is you're, you're cold, you're cold, you're cold. Now you are right. the principal horn of the section. And you have to play like it. You mm -hmm. can't just play like you're, you know, just Another Fill, section filling member. out the section, right. yeah, right. yeah. You have to essentially lead that section, mm -hmm. and so that's really what makes it makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think one of the more difficult or challenging mm -hmm. uh, positions out there mm -hmm. uh, in the horn section. I mean, obviously the principal, you know, being in the hot seat and having all the solos and everything too, but uh, but yeah, just challenging uh, from the assistant side mm -hmm. of things. You know, yeah. but thinking, and I, and I know it's the same uh, regardless of section, but um, you've got to have nerves of steel to be a principal player. Mm -hmm. But I think the principal player is only going to sound as good as the second. I mean, if you don't have a rock solid second player, oh, yeah. life is really difficult. Yeah. If you don't have a good third player, because for horn players, sometimes first and third, right, are paired together and right. second and fourth are paired together you know right. and you think well there's no weak link there's nowhere to to be a weak link in those sections every part has to be strong every player has to be strong right and you yeah you have to understand your role yeah. I, I was blessed uh, when i was in in evansville had a great second horn player and for all of the years that i've been in richmond uh, we match up really well also but mm -hmm. when i was in evansville i was young uh, well, i mean young as far as that was my first you know real mm -hmm. job and everything and uh, uh jack dressler was the second horn uh for me there and and very uh, experienced mm -hmm. with everything and we did with the, we were playing the harry yana suite and i use this as as an example to my students in a way as far as the hierarchy of everything and what you need to do mm -hmm. and of course i wasn't as detail oriented as i am now as a player and so there's a little duet thing that happens and, and it repeats and the first time through I messed up a, an articulation I slurred to where I should have tongued them or something like that go back through I remembered my mistake and so I went ahead and corrected it he played 
what I had played mm -hmm. the time before, anticipating that I, of course, was going to, on which you know was a good guess on his part, <laughs> <laughs> that, that I was going to make an error yeah. twice yeah. Uh, in the same way. But just having the you know, the 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 knowledge and, and observation and everything to to make that that type of an adjustment. Not mm -hmm. only I mean we're not just talking you know pitch and things mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and that was a that was a good learning uh, lesson for mm -hmm. me uh, as far as uh, you know just how to work within a section and and a little bit of a lesson on how to prepare my part a little better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, um, we're going to wrap up, but and I was going to ask for some advice for younger, pl younger players, but you actually gave that a few minutes ago in talking about the sight reading. Uh, but yeah. is there maybe some other sage advice that you could offer to uh, younger players? I think probably the working on your, your technique. You know, usually w when younger players practice, they go, oh, I've got all of this I need to practice, and they try to do it all in one session. Mm -hmm. um, I, I tell my students that, you know, we're working a concerto and a couple of etudes. Just work the first half. Come back with this really good, mm -hmm. and, 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 and I'll be happy. And then the same for the other things. Mm -hmm. But then we get locked into what we're playing in band and orchestra and all of those things type hit you and you forget about scales and arpeggios mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and sight reading mm -hmm. and and along those lines so i would say you know at least one of your practice sessions within the week mm -hmm. should be just only devoted to those type of things now mm -hmm. as far as the other practice sessions you should run through your scales every day i mean amen you know I, and I always do, I, no matter how you do them, even if you do them in the most basic way there is, you can run through the circle of fifths of major scales in one octave in less than a minute and a half. That, ha, I know, why not? right? Why not? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, then you, you go from there because – as I always pointed again to my students, what is music made up of? Scales and arpeggios. Mm -hmm. So why not take those out of the music and just work on how you're playing and thinking more. Uh, I'm more of a how you're playing type of person as opposed to the what you're playing. And so mm -hmm. I think more about what I'm doing breathing-wise, mm -hmm. what my embouchure, how I'm holding the instrument, mm -hmm. all of those type of things. But on the other side of that, not thinking about all of those things at the same time. Oh, right. So find one or two. Mm -hmm. um, even though you feel you can multitask, you're not as good at it as you think you are. <laughs> so. And that hasn't changed. I mean, no. before cell phones, we used to have magazines and newspapers on our stands in orchestra rehearsal, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, you couldn't even multitask. I'd still miss an entrance. <laughs> It's just, yeah. yeah, it's just the, yeah, it's changed slightly. Yeah. Um, talking about scales, uh, I remember, of course, at University of Kentucky, we had a huge number of scale requirements, including patterns, scales in third, scales in fourth, scales in fifths. And I'm like, are you kidding? When am I? Oh, crap. And then you get into the real world and you're like, well, this is why I was supposed to learn those patterns. Right. Because it's everywhere. Right. You know, and, and I hated uh, uh, learn, having to learn transposition. When am I ever going to use this? Oh, crap. 
I'm going to have to learn because I do it all the time. Yeah. Right? And now's the time. I think that's one thing your students don't understand. Now's the best time to learn this and get it down. Right. Because once you finish even your undergrad, you now you're going to have even less time to figure this stuff out. Yeah. And you were asking about the younger players, you know, yeah. professional players today, and that, that's exactly what they did, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've heard some of these these people uh, warm up, you know, and, and just the way that they're religiously doing this, this, mm-hmm. and this, and this mm-hmm. on a daily basis and covering that. Well, that's what they were – even though technically they're, you know, less than 10 years out of high school, mm-hmm. um, but you do all of those type of things early, then you've made yourself a very solid foundation that you can build mm-hmm. upon. At the point in, in our career uh, – I mean – Maybe I should just speak for myself and everything. But I, I'm pretty much just maintaining. I'm not going to learn too many more new things. In fact, I, I listened to some some recordings back from the Evansville mm-hmm. uh, days on cassette, if you remember. <laughs> what. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. Not a great sound, by the way. But um, but I was, I was especially noticing, like, my technique. It was like all I was doing at that time was just playing the horn. I was playing the horn and teaching at the university. That was it. No mm-hmm. other extra thing. It's like, well, I could do those things, you know, back then. Now they're a little bit harder. You know, the articulation's mm-hmm. not as quick as it used to mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's yeah, trying to maintain that and get things back maybe a little bit more where mm-hmm. they're at. Um, so the more that you do that in the early stages – the easier it's going to be for you and the more success you're going to have overall sure. uh, as you go through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's been a pleasure getting to know a whole lot more about you <laughs> here. Well, pleasure might, might be the wrong word right, for that. Right. It's, it's been an endurance. Is this really going to air or are you using this? Oh, I never something? pushed, I never pushed did record. So we're, <laughs> <laughs> no, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks again. And uh, look forward to working with you more in yeah. many different ways. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio hfl and one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes merchandise and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link thanks again for listening and i hope you come back for more great interviews